0: just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode one hundred and one, one oh one of the SCO show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield back in the big chair for today, Friday, April 24th, 2020. Night one, round one, day one. Of the 2020 NFL Draft is in the books, and we're going to have some reaction to what the Patriots did, some reaction to what the rest of the league did, some thoughts on good picks, bad picks, shocker picks, and as well as a look ahead to what the Patriots can do over the next two rounds. Before we dive in, though, your usual cavalcade of reminders. we got an extra one today. First off, follow along with the hijinks on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Check out the work, places like Inside the pylon, Matt Waldman's rookie scouting portfolio, not one, not two, but three, yes, three SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and right here it's Pat's, Pat's pulpit. And also Touchdown Wire, USA Today's Touchdown Wire, part of the wire network over there. We've got a piece up that I'm going to be diving into a little bit later. It's a day two mock draft that I put together into the wee hours, into the almost- early hours of the morning and that me to the final reminder which is i'm running on about three hours of sleep and so yeah if i start to stutter at some point just roll with it i literally just got off of a radio show i was trying to say dvoa and what the acronym stood for and i couldn't get it out yeah it's gonna be that kind of day and that kind of night too because we get to do it all again let's start at the outset what the new england patriots decided to do is what well many of us thought they would do, right? They traded out. At 23, with with players like Patrick Queen on the board, Kenneth Murray on the board, Cesar Ruiz on the board, Jordan Love on the board, we'll get to that. They trade out. And what's the trade they make? The trade that was predicted on the mock of integrity. Los Angeles Chargers coming up, 37-71 and to the New England Patriots. And now that gives the Patriots, like we've thought, the multiple bites of the apple that they probably wanted to have on day two. Now they have a second-rounder, you know, pick five in the second round. They've now got four picks in the third round, which they can stay and make. They can move some. If somebody really falls into the second round, they can move – enough to go get that player. For example, again, not that the trade value pick chart is the be-all and end-all of the analysis, but if you package 71 and 87, that probably gets you to about, say, where the Rams are at 52 overall, or maybe Minnesota at 58. And so there are a number of scenarios now where the Patriots could do some serious damage here on the second day of the draft. And interestingly enough, we talk so often on this show and elsewhere about how good organizations find a way to give themselves different opportunities, whether it's in free agency, the draft, a combination thereof. You know, good teams do it right. You know, for example, I know we're going to talk about the rest of the league in a second here, but Minnesota, many people thought when the day began – Minnesota was gonna stay at twenty-two and twenty-five, and then we're gonna go wide receiver and corner, right? Well, they stay at twenty-two, they draft the wide receiver, Justin Jefferson, tremendous, tremendous pick for them, which I'll get to in a second. But then they move out, they trade down, they end up trading all the way down to thirty-one. And what do they do with thirty one? They get a corner in Jeff Gladney, who many people were mocking to them at twenty-five. You know, good team sort of move around and just work their board. You know, they play the cards in front of them, not the cards on the table, in front of everybody else. And so the Patriots are now in position to do something just like that. And we'll talk about some options for them at 37 in a moment. But that's the Patriots. Let's sort of look league-wide. And I don't think there were real any shockers in terms of how things played out at the start of the board. I think the draft really sort of began where maybe we all sort of thought in the end it would, which is three. Because Joe Burrow is the pick of Cincinnati at one. Chase Young at two to Washington. And then at three, there was a thought that maybe, maybe the Detroit Lions do something a little bit different and go Derek Brown. Well, they don't. They stayed. Jeff Okuda, pretty chalky to that point. At four, figured offensive line would be in play for the Giants, and it certainly was. Dave Gettleman turns in the card or sends in the DM or however they did it. And Andrew Thomas from Georgia. And the interesting thing about Thomas, and I think this is a sort of running element to keep in mind. Thomas is pretty plug and play, very experienced. And in a world where there might be a shortened training camp, shortened preseason, the ability to get somebody that could be just plug and play might be a true trait, a true box to check. And so as we get through some of these picks, as we get into, say, day two and even into day three, keep that in mind. When we start seeing guys that were at the senior bowl and things like that coming off the board. I think that might be in play here. So certainly keep in mind, see if we see some more upperclassmen picked than perhaps in years past. But then the real sort of drama began, right? Because dating back to the Senior Bowl, I kept hearing things that Miami, they're not set on Tua. We heard all these rumblings in the past couple of weeks and days leading into the draft. Oh Miami, they're going to come up for a tackle, or they're going to draft tackle at five and address quarterback later. And oh, they really like Justin Herbert. Oh, ownership really like Justin Herbert. They really, Miami really nailed the smoke screen part of the draft game. It's just absolutely nailed it. And I tweeted out, you know, Miami with the disinformation campaign of all time, which. Again, life in 2020, people immediately took it to a different direction, but I digress. They really sort of convinced everybody that it wasn't going to be Tua. In the end, it was Tua. Do I think it was a good pick? I do. Because if he's healthy, he's on the same tier as Joe Burrow, just a couple of steps behind him in my mind. And I know if he's healthy, is a big risk, but yes, he had the Bo Jackson injury. It's not 1986. So I think this is a very good pick, and if they want to redshirt him, they can, obviously, with Ryan Fitzpatrick in place. Very good pick by the Miami Dolphins. Love what they did there. And then at 6, you get the Chargers. They go Justin Herbert, and I don't think that was really a surprise. A lot of people thought was sort of had Justin Herbert there coming off the board to the Chargers. So that sort of plays out like we thought. At 7, Carolina, a lot of people thought, Isaiah Simmons landing spot there. They go Derek Brown. Also a very good pick. I was just on ESPN Charlotte with Molly Cotton and Walker. Huge fans of them. They're always so nice when they have me on. And, you know, I was telling them, look, one of the reasons why people thought Isaiah Simmons made sense for Carolina was the fact they need a linebacker. Well, one way to help the linebackers you have is to get a guy in front who's going to keep them clean. Derek Brown does that. Molly asked me, for example, what should Panthers fans expect production-wise? And I tried to make the point that don't get hung up on sacks and tackles and tackles for a loss. Look at the totality of the defense and how well the defense plays because of Derek Brown. Because he's going to keep people clean. You watch his game against LSU, for example. They ran a lot of the three-man tight fronts. Listeners of the show remember that from the Baltimore Ravens game last year. And he was having an Aaron Donald-like impact on that game. Not what he was doing, but what he was forcing the offense to do. He was getting doubled on every play. He was creating one-on-one matchups for everybody else. If you think back to Super Bowl 53, back when I was over at Locked On Patriots, I talked about how you double-team Donald at your own peril because you're going to create one-on-one opportunities for everybody else. And Donald will take those double-teams knowing he's going to free up some other guys around him. And that's what Derek Brown does. So I think it's a very good pick there. Arizona at eight, Isaiah Simmons. If you use him right, this could be a tremendous home run pick. And by the way, I'm not going to dwell so much on the Isaiah Simmons pick. I'm going to talk about Cliff Kingsbury's pad. Because, man, he looked like the next Bond. Noah Princeotti tweeted out that he should be the next Bond because he's got the beautiful setup, he's got the hardscaped backyard with the fire pit going. I don't know what the temperature was yesterday in Arizona, but it doesn't matter. He's got the beautiful setup, the clean, almost Spartan. I'm a very minimalist interior designer. I just talk about crushing this sort of home draft setup. But anyway, that's Arizona 8. At 9, Jacksonville. What I love about what Jacksonville did, both at 9 and at 20, they didn't force a quarterback pick or anything like that, they addressed other needs. So at 9, they get C.G. Henderson. At 20, they get Caleb on chasing. I like what Jacksonville did. At 10, Cleveland, they get Jedrick Wills to fall into their lap. Just a tremendous move. And now, look, somebody's going to have to play left tackle, whether it's Wills, whether it's Jack Conklin. But they wanted an offensive lineman, they got an offensive lineman. Another team that perhaps could have gone wide receiver goes offensive lineman, that's the New York Jets. I thought the Jets might have been that spot where the wide receiver run begins. They go offensive tackle, Makai Becton. Massive, big, athletic guy. Could probably protect Sam Darnold's blindside for the next eight years. Like I, I think he's that good. At 12, we get our first receiver, and it's not Lamb, it's not Judy, it's Ruggs, and it's the most Raiders pick of all time, Right. The speed guy, the burner, fast wide receiver on the board. I think this is a quintessential Raiders pick. I think you look at how he impacts games. I think he's a home run hitter in a West Coast system that could take a slant route to the house. That's what the Raiders do. So it makes sense. It fits. Then we get our first trade. Tampa Bay, who continues to crush the offseason, they come up one spot, and then they get Tristan worse. I mean, Tampa Bay has done a great job over the past couple of months, right? Out of themselves, Tom Brady. Out of now, Rob Gronkowski. They come up, and they get Tristan worse. Just a really, really good job. Now at 14, coming back a spot, San Francisco 49ers, Javon Kinlaw. A lot of people thought that pick was going to happen, and it certainly did. You lose out on DeForest Buckner because you trade him. Now you get his replacement. They could have gone wide receiver here. Maybe they go wide receiver a little bit later in the draft in the first round. A little teaser. But yeah, good pick for them. At 15, Denver Broncos, wide receiver falls into the lap. They get seed Jerry Judy. There was a concern that perhaps they'd have to trade up to do it. I thought they'd have to trade up perhaps with Jacksonville or Cleveland to get the wide receiver they wanted. Instead, they get one to fall to them. And then Atlanta at 16, we get perhaps what people are calling the first true reach of the night. I don't think it's as big of a reach as people are making it out to be. They needed a corner. They could have gone up early to get C.J. Henderson. They could have traded up for that. There were a lot of rumors, perhaps, that they wanted to go up and get Jeffrey Okuda. They couldn't get up to make one of those moves. So instead... They stay, and they draft A.J. Terrell from Clemson. And I think a lot of the reason that people were down on him stems from a bit of recency bias, from seeing what Jamar Chase did against him in the national championship game. And I do think part of that was probably due to the fact that Jamar Chase won some 50-50 balls, made some plays at the catch point. I think if you sort of watch that game in its entirety, Chase's performance isn't as I mean, Terrell's performance isn't as bad as Chase's stat line is making it out to be. And if you look at the body of work, AJ Terrell is a very good corner. And this is one of those picks I think that is a window into the fact that we might get that short in training camp, right? Because he's coming from a diverse 3-1-7 defense where you know, Brett Venables was asking them to do a lot of man, a lot of zone, a lot of combination stuff. That's going to ease his transition. So I don't think it's as bad a pick as it's being made out to be. Now, talking about the wide receiver fall, CeeDee Lamb's fall ends at 17 with Dallas. And unfortunately... Perhaps the main beneficiary of this move, Dak Prescott, can't celebrate it as much as he would like. Because we had tragic news that we all woke up to. Dak Prescott's brother, Joe Jace, excuse me, passed away at 31 over the past night. And so we're still learning more about this. Um, obviously, our, our thoughts and our prayers are with Dak Prescott and his family at this time. But this is a great acquisition for the Cowboys. It's a great acquisition for Dak Prescott. And then we get CeeDee Lamb's catch radius is enormous. This is a tremendous pick for them. Hard not to be excited if you're a Cowboys fan. Then we get 18, Miami back on the clock. We, We figured they would go offensive tackle. They do it. It's not Josh Jones, who a lot of people linked to them as perhaps the fifth tackle off the board. It's Austin Jackson. And I think it's a buy-in on what he showed in 2018, sort of a nod to the health situation, obviously being a a bone marrow donor for his sister that probably sort of set him back a bit. So I, I think I still like what Miami did, and I think their third pick of the night was perhaps my favorite. But good pick there at 18. At 19, we get our next big reach, and that's Damon Arnett. Comes off the board 19 to the Raiders. I was working through Arif Hassan's consensus draft board, and he was the 63rd player on the consensus draft board, and he comes off the board at 19. And this is, again, a nod, I think, to the shortened training camp and preseason we're going to have because experienced veteran player, savvy, can play both. Man, zone, off, all that stuff. So I think it is one of those nods to what we might see in a shortened training camp season. And then we get 20, the pick of 20. Like I said, it's the chase and pick, the chase on pick from the Jacksonville Jaguars, I think makes a, a ton of sense for them. At 21, Philadelphia. And this is the point of the night where I'm on with Sigmund Blue and Matt Waldman with Football Guys, the Audible live stream. And Waldman and I are clamoring, clamoring for Justin Jefferson. They go Jalen Ragor. It's interesting you move on from Nelson Aguilar and you draft a guy that I comp to Nelson Aguilar. I think he fits schematically. It's a pick that I made in earlier mocks because I think the schematic fit makes a ton of sense. But I know Eagles fans are sort of tearing themselves to pieces right now as a result of it. Especially when you saw CeeDee Lamb fall to 17, just a couple spots ahead of you, and go to your hated rivals. Like If Lamb blows up and Regor struggles, oh, Bleeding Green Nation is going to be a tough place to be. And then at 22, look, what do we get? A guy that I thought would have been perfect in Philly, and that's Justin Jefferson. And I, I love this pick by the Minnesota Vikings because if you think about what, let's take it this way. One of the sort of knocks on Justin Jefferson, and I'm going to do that lawyerly thing where I turn a negative into a positive in the blink of an eye, was that so much of his production was generated on sort of crossing routes, working over the field, and finding space. Well, what do the Minnesota Vikings do so much offensively? Play action plays off of boot action where you're rolling the quarterback out, you're looking for that crossing route, working over the middle field with the receiver trying to find space. It's almost an ideal fit. And he can be a vertical threat as well. He has the speed. You look at the 2018 tape. He can certainly do it from the boundary. I think this is a fantastic pick for Minnesota. Again, I think Minnesota did a really good job. And then you get 23, the Patriots trade out. Chargers come up. Kenneth Murray. If they use him right, could be a fantastic pick. You have to use him right, though. He's not somebody you're putting the green dot on the stick on the helmet for and trusting to sort of read and diagnose what's happening in front of him. But C-ball, hit ball, attack ball. He can do that. So if they use him right, this could be a great pick. Cesar Ruiz at 24 to New Orleans. Certainly a nod to both a Breeze era and a post-Breeze era. You know, you could slot him in perhaps if he beats out Eric McCoy at center or maybe slot him to guard because he has that experience. The fact that the Patriots you know, didn't take him at 23, but he goes at 24, tells you that teams really sort of loved him. And what was interesting about this one, so many, myself included, thought Patrick Queen at 24 to the Saints. If he got past New England at 23, or if the Patriots did trade out, you could almost put him in stone. Well, I guess this is one of those moments where we were wronger than usual. At 25, Brandon Ayuk. And this is one of those moments where I love the fact that it gets beyond with Matt Waldman. Sigmund Bloom, because particularly Matt, he like lost his mind at this pick. Not a fan of it at all. And I kind of agree with him. Brandon Ayuk is nice. He does some things well. But I'm not so sure he's like, you know, fifth wide receiver off the board, guy you're going to build around type of receiver. He did get a ton of buzz in the days leading up to the draft. But I'm not so sure of the fit here. Especially, you know, if you're thinking he's going to replace Emmanuel Sanders – I don't think he does that. I think he's a nice Z that can work on the boundary. You can do some things around, but I don't know. I'm not seeing this one. And then the stunner of the night. The Packers coming up. You think might they might be coming up for a receiver. They come up and they draft Jordan Love. And apparently Matt LaFleur was, Adam Schefter had a tweet out that said if, if Love got to a certain point, he would almost force the pick. Who knows if that's what happened here. But instead of getting Aaron Rodgers help for 2020, they got potentially his replacement for 2023 or so. And I will just throw this out there. And you've probably heard and seen some of the same things. But in the immediate aftermath of this pick, the speculation began, could the New England Patriots go get Aaron Rodgers? And it's not just coming from the show I was on. It was elsewhere on Twitter. People have begun to speculate. Big names, small names. Lots of Belichick laughing GIFs. Crazier things have happened. Do I think they go out and get Aaron Rodgers for this year? Absolutely not. But who knows what happens beyond that. That's all I'll say about that. Now at 27. Seattle doing Seattle things. Now, Jordan Brooks, by the consensus board, was the biggest reach last night. Because he was the 84th player on the Arifasan consensus board, and he comes off the board at 27. I mean, maybe math-wise, Vegas reaching for Arnett is a bigger reach, but in terms of getting somebody down on the board, Seattle checks that box. This, I think, is a nod to Wagner, Wright, being sort of at the end of their careers, and it gives them a player to sort of develop a new linebacker to be the heart of their defense at some point. I think initially he's a downhill attacker, two-down thumper type. He doesn't have the athleticism of Murray, who I think can match receivers better. He moves great laterally and downhill. I'm not so sure about him dropping into coverage. But he can be somebody you can do some things with on first and second downs. And so I do like that aspect of the pick. I liked him as a player. I comped him to Alvin Mack, but I'm not so sure Alvin Mack goes in the first round of the 2020 NFL Draft. Maybe the 1992 NFL Draft he does. And then Baltimore does what Baltimore does, right? They work their board. They they don't panic. Patrick Queen falls into their lap. Gosh, they're pretty darn good at this stuff. It's a great pick. Just a great pick. At 29, Tennessee, Isaiah Wilson, the offensive tackle. you know. So we do see six offensive tackles in the first round. It's not the six people perhaps thought. But Wilson had been mocked a lot to the Titans in the closing days, and we see why. And now they get perhaps somebody they can sort of slide right in, right tackle guy, replace Jack Conklin. There you go. Life goes on. A dark horse pick might have been running back here, Jonathan Taylor. You know, if they play with Derrick Henry on his franchise tag. I mean, Sigmund Bloom kind of pointed that out, and it does make a lot of sense. But they go in a different direction. And then we get a pick at 30, which one of my favorite picks of this draft, and it's more evidence that Brian Flores is doing it in a Belichick-type way, right? Because they add Byron Jones and free agents, which gives you Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, Right. Highest paid cornerback tandem in the league. What do they do beyond that? Now they add Noah Igbenagani, the talented athletic corner from Auburn. So now they've got three corners. And I loved watching Noah on film. And why I think this is sort of a, a Belichickian move. One, you expect them to play a ton of single high man coverage, right? Belichick loves cover one. So you expect them to do that. Now you don't have not you don't have one, you don't have two, but you've got three corners that you can play the matchup game with. Think about every big Patriots game against a high flying offense. One of our favorite things to do is to predict how Bill Belichick is gonna play his matchups. He loves to you know, take his one and put it on your two and then give you know his two some help on your one with his safety over the top and play those matchups. Now he's got three corners he can do that with. And I think this was such a vision into what they might do defensively, what they might do tonight. I loved that pick. That 31 Minnesota, the Jeff Gladney pick, I had mocked Gladney them at 25. They get him at 31, just absolutely ideal. And then we get a running back. Edwards Alare from LSU goes to the Chiefs. I, oh, I would have thought they would have fit corner in here, but instead they go running back. We get the running back at 32. Um, A lot of people thought if we were going to see what it might be there, that's where it happens. And so that's the first round. Up next, my thoughts on what happens tonight on day two, some players to watch, what New England could do, my mock for what New England does, which went up over a touchdown wire. That's all ahead on episode 101 of The Sco Show. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever prohibited. Here's worth the snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 101 of the Sco Show, and let's talk about round two and round three. And yes, the Patriots have five picks to play with, and I will do it this way. I will start with my mock that it's up on touchdown wire, a full second and third round mock that I did. I will talk about the picks that I made for the New England Patriots. Obviously, yes, they have five. And I kick it off with the pick at 37. Xavier McKinney just feels right. It just feels right. Now, potentially Detroit could draft him at 35. I have them go edge with Gross Matos from Penn State. Xavier McKinney, I think, ends up a Patriot you know, with that pick at 37. And I think looking at how they use safeties, looking at what McKinney brings to the table, if Belichick does indeed want to win those 17-10 rock fights next year, this is a pick that they're going to make. And so that's what I have them doing at 37. Other names to keep in mind here, you know, maybe Grant Delpit, although I think McKinney's more their type of player. You could think wide receiver at this point. Antoine Winfield Jr. also wouldn't be That much of a surprise, but I think McKinney's more their type of player. They could go quarterback, but I don't think they do it at thirty-seven. I honestly don't think they do it tonight. A lot of people think they do. Wide receivers: Denzel Mims, if he's there, T. Higgins, perhaps. But I I think this is a this is a Xavier McKinney spot, and so that's what I think they do at 37 now they also got the pick at 71 that they got from the chargers and now that obviously is a pick at the sort of the top of the third round and some options for them there i think you have to think tight ends adam trotman hunter bryant harrison bryant in my mock i went hunter bryant at 71 just because i think trotman comes off the board at 66 to washington I think Cole Komet sneaks into the second round. That's kind of how high of them stacked. Other position to keep in mind might be linebacker at that spot, though. You're going to see some of those interesting linebackers start to come off the board, whether it's a Logan Wilson. I could still ban the table for Troy Dye. Akeem Davis Gaither, for example. But I think tight end is probably 71s. that sort of nice area where you might get one of the top tight ends in this group but you're not spending a day uh, round one or two pick on them. So that's what I think they do at 71. At 87, I went Damian Lewis. If you end up moving on from Joe Tooney, which seems to be something that happens by the weekend, maybe you're happy with Hilde Froholt, maybe not. Damian Lewis could be a nasty plug-and-play type option. So he's the pick in my mind at 87. Then at 98, I do have them addressing linebacker. As much as I would like Troy die, I think Belichick would love Malik Harrison. You know, he seems like a Dante Hightower-type player. And then at 100, Brian Edwards. That's the pick I made for the Patriots in the touchdown wire sort of day-two mock wide receiver from South Carolina. And if you think about it, if they come out of this with Xavier McKinney, Hunter Bryant, Damian Lewis, Malik Harrison, and Brian Edwards. I mean, these are some of the guys we spent a lot of time talking about on the Scotia Slack channel, which, by the way, was hopping last night. And those of you that watched the live stream I was on, thank you so much for tuning in, Chuck A. Thanks so much for dropping the link in for everybody. That's a pretty good haul for day two because those are five guys I think are impact contributors as rookies. Not too shabby. Other names to watch, I'm fascinated to see, look, where McKinney falls. He is the highest graded player left on the consensus board that I'm working off of. AJ Ipanessa. I think he goes to the Giants at 36. Like I said, Gross Montos I have a Denver at 35. Grant Delpit, I think Miami at 38, right after New England. They'd probably love to get Xavier McKinney to look at Delpit as sort of a, a fallback. Christian Fulton, the LSU corner. I think Houston would love him at 40. Jonathan Taylor, the running back from Wisconsin, that screams Steelers to me. Josh Jones, I think he comes off the board right away to Cincinnati at 33. I think Dobbins and Bond are going to see a bit of a fall. I kept trying to plug, as I was working through this mock, Zach Bond in at different spots. I couldn't find a landing spot for him. I kept trying to do it. Nothing seemed to really fit. I think it's partially because he's a bit of a tweener in the sense where – You know, he's not really a true edge, but he's not really a linebacker right now. It's hard to plug him in. You need the right fit. So I had him falling all the way to the Rams at 52. And then, like I said, J.K. Dobbins at the Bills at 54. Other names to watch. I think T. Higgins will be interesting. Antoine Winfield, Trayvon Diggs. I have him going to the Bears at 43. I have the Bears double-dipping defense-defense with Diggs at 43 and then Jeremy Chin at 50. Some Bears fans like that. Others don't. I think it makes some sense for them, given the needs that they have to go defense, defense. And I do want to see LaVisca Chenault where he ends up. I have him fall into a team at 62, the Green Bay Packers. Maybe that would make Aaron Rodgers feel better. I don't know. It could. So that will do it for episode 101. Sort of a quick look ahead. Um, what I think the Patriots could do tonight. What I thought about what they did last night. I think the pick, the trade back was the right move. Now they give themselves five day two picks. A lot of weapons. A lot of draft capital to play with. That's for the plans for tonight. I'll be on another live stream with David Crumlow and Scotia Slack channel member Bill Rossetti. I'll also be popping on with Pat Lane at some point when the Patriots are on the clock. I don't know if it will work when we're at 37 or 71, but at some point I will be on with Pat. And I'll be on the timeline as well. Probably be doing some live draft grades for Touchdown Wire. So if you're not sick of me yet, well, you've made it this far. So you might as well keep following along on Twitter at Mark Schofield. That will do it for today. I will be back maybe later tonight, early tomorrow morning, or day two roundup. Until then, friends, stay safe, check in on the neighbors, wash those hands, and as you do, sin along and bless those Patriots reigns down in Foxburg.